The following podcast is brought to you by Babe Media. I'm Emma Clark. And I'm Kelsey Burdett. You know those people you follow that just seem to get it? They have the Instagram content that you actually watch. They own the brands that you just can't stop buying from. And they tell the stories you actually remember. The kinds of people that leave you wondering, how do they do that? Well, we follow them too. And we have the exact same question. Join us as we interview the people that leave us thinking, oh, they get it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Mary Young, the founder of Mary Young. And this topic is interesting to us because we've had a bunch of founders on who have got their manufacturing done basically everywhere in the world. The the one that comes to mind the most is the Alico. They actually flew to China to meet with their manufacturers because I think the one thing all of our founders can agree on is that a strong relationship with your manufacturer is a non-negotiable. So if they happen to be in China, that means being eight months pregnant, jumping on a flight right before COVID, going to meet them in China and trying to build that relationship that way. And so we really wanted Mary to talk about what it means to have all your your manufacturing done in Canada. I think there's a lot of trade-offs. And so she does a really good job defining what those trade-offs are. And like Emma mentioned in our last episode, the fact that her brand values are driving her decision-making is so admirable. And so Mm -hmm. you'll really want to pay attention to that, the the thought process as to why this is so important to her and how she's making good on that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much good stuff in this episode. I feel like I say that every episode, but it's true. And one other thing that Mary touched on that I found really interesting is like, if you're shopping from a brand that says they're sustainably made, but their prices are really low, Mm. question that. Yeah. Because as Mary says, she can't fathom how a brand would offer something for $10 and make that in a way that they're paying fair wages. It just, it doesn't really make sense. So I think as consumers pay attention to that when you're shopping and think about, you know, is it worth buying better quality Mm -hmm. things that are a little more expensive, but they're well-made, they're going to last you and the people who are making them are getting paid well. Right. All really good things to think about. Anyways, let's get into it. Let's do it. All right. It is time for our brand of the week that we're loving. And that brand is Midday Squares. Oh, Okay, first of all, their products are amazing. So basically, they notice this gap in the market of like, there's no real like snacks that are targeted towards afternoon. There's so many things targeted towards morning, but what about the afternoon? What about when you hit that slump and you're craving a chocolate bar, but maybe you want something a little bit healthier? Midday squares, you don't have to compromise. Their bars have a lot of protein in them, a lot of healthy fats. They're really good for you. They have good for you ingredients, but they also taste amazing, especially their peanut butter. Yes, the pro tip of the century is peanut butter. If you're looking for a healthier Reese's cup, this is it 100%. Oh, they're absolutely delicious. And not only is their product amazing, like I was saying, but the people behind this brand are just top notch. We had Nick, one of the founders on the podcast. He is absolutely hilarious. He's so smart. They just are all heart. And so if you don't follow them on Instagram, go check it out. They do a really good job of brand storytelling. So if you're an entrepreneur, if you're looking to start a business, if you want an honest look behind the scenes of starting any brand, but especially a CPG brand, go check it out. We're such big fans of Midday Squares. So eat them, 
check them out on social. They also have a really good podcast. And if you do want to make an order, we have a code for you. It is MSC15. The link in the code will be in the show notes for you. Okay, so we're back with Mary Young. And now we're going to talk about production because something unique about Mary Young is that everything is produced in Canada in Montreal, right, Mary? That's correct. So yeah, I think that's something very interesting because a lot of the brands I follow, one that comes to mind is Uncle Studios that Allegra Shaw runs. She said producing in Canada is just such a tough thing to do. So Mary, maybe for starters on this topic, can you talk about why you choose to produce in Canada? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the biggest reason for me when I started building the brand and thinking about production was to obviously know where it's being produced. And when I started school in 2009, my post-secondary studies, there were so many companies that produced in Canada. There were so many headquarters that were in Canada. Obviously, a lot of people were based in Toronto or Montreal, like it was a big industry. And then by the time I finished school in 2014, there were basically no companies that were based in Toronto or Montreal or producing almost everyone went offshore, like Roots went offshore, Joe Fresh started, it was offshore, everyone basically left the country. And I saw a huge impact on obviously the economy in terms of like the fashion industry and the resources that this nation actually has, like Montreal and Toronto were huge hubs for production in the fashion industry. And it's sad to see that all of that has left. So I really wanted to be able to invest back into our country and see where my money and our consumers money was going like this whole like really in your backyard, you turn around and you see the impact that you have. And then also it's super helpful in terms of managing quality control and ethical production, because when it's overseas, yes, you can go visit, but a lot of times things are looking great when you come for your week visit twice a year versus when it is really in your backyard and you can talk to people on the floor and really get a sense for how things are done. Yeah, we had a brand on sometime in the spring or early summer of this year. And they're like a, a box, a container, and they got everything produced in China. And they were mm -hmm. saying it was so expensive to have units produced in Canada that China was like a no brainer. But then they would go to China and it's COVID mm -hmm. and they would still have to travel and have feet on the ground there. And I have to wonder what the trade off is when you were brand new right? You're trying mm -hmm. to figure this out for the first time. How did you go about narrowing down which manufacturing partners you <laughs> wanted to go with? Well, there was really only one. So there was not a lot of <laughs> options. Yeah, there was like no options for lingerie in Canada. Again, because it's such a specific niche product, like you need certain machines and expertise. Oh, and really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Like if especially if you're doing like padding or underwire, you really need someone who knows what they're doing. But even in terms of just like a bra band and shoulder straps, and they call like putting the metal pieces on the shoulder straps handwork. So you need a production facility that employs individuals that do handwork, aka they're really fast and quick with their hands. Because a lot of sewing is machine sewing. And doing handwork slows down the production and costs more. So it took months. I had no idea. And, oh, yeah. That's done like, by hand. That's crazy. All of that is done by hand. It's crazy to think like all the little metal pieces that you have on your products, at least ours, are done by hand. I'm sure there's some places Whoa. that you get machinery. But we still like to have real people involved. So, yeah, it was months and months of like cold calling, emailing. I started looking for places that did swimwear because swim at least was close to like intimates and lingerie. And then eventually found this production house in Montreal. And 
the production owner there, his name is Richard. He's a lovely man. And I still joke with him because I'm like, oh, I probably came in and you thought this young girl, she's going to start this little line. We'll probably never see her again. And here I am seven years later, you can't get rid of me. <laughs> and, you know, he says it's true. There's so many people that come in thinking they're going to start a business, but don't have the right plans or vision. And him and his team there have been so supportive of us. And really, we look at them as partners in the business versus a third party that we work with. Like we really do want every aspect of the company to feel so intimate and just supportive of what we're doing and the mission that we have. Wow. I have to ask from a cost perspective, mm-hmm. what does that look like it's as compared cheap. to going offshore, I guess? <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's Especially. not cheap. One of the biggest things is equal wages, fair wages, minimum wage. There's all these different definitions. So for us, we pay living wages. So it's, I think it's, I think living wages is the right term. I also might be wrong. It's Monday night. But we pay (laughs) wages that are above minimum wages and fair for like living within the city that people live in. So Montreal, you know, is a relatively affordable city, but it's not cheap. And a lot of those Mm -hmm. who work in the production facility obviously have families and they're not 22 year old kids that are working their way up. That is a huge part for us. So when I see brands that you know, talk about having ethical produced garments that cost like $14 for a bra. Uh, I, I personally can't fathom how because, you know, yes, mm-hmm. it's produced overseas, but are you really aware of like the lifestyle and the quality of work and the environment? Because for $14, that means you're basically making a product for $2 and you're shipping it yeah. overseas and selling it and then the rest is margin. So our margins are, you know, enough to get by, but we're not in the business of getting rich off of selling garments made in Canada. We really want to have a bigger impact than just making garments to sell. So like I said, we we are mm-hmm. more than an intimates brand and we see the investment in higher labor costs to be worthy of what we're doing and the mission that we're on. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I think it's a testament that you can do that. Like you can mm-hmm. run a business in a way that that people will buy the products. It's not so crazy expensive that no one's going to purchase it, but you can also do it in a way that the people behind that are all making a living wage, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Have you ever gotten like negative feedback from potential customers about the pricing or I guess, yeah, you must have. Definitely. Yeah, I think that it's it's always a hard <laughs> thing too. And some people get it. Some people understand, you know, when you sit down and do the math of how much something would cost and labor and then our overhead expenses and things like that, a lot of people do understand it. But then I think a lot of other people aren't there. And I always like to think that we're a part of educating them on quality goods and maybe buying quality over quantity. And at some point in their life, when they are looking for something that has a bit more quality, then they might return to shopping with someone like us. Or even if it is once a year purchase, when we have our couple sales days a year, that's the only time they can afford to shop with us. We value them and value their support in our community, no matter what that looks like. And I think probably the consumer behavior shift towards minimalism and sustainability, Mm -hmm. right? Kind of the double whammy probably helps out quite a bit. How often are you making the trek to Montreal to go actually visit on site? So before COVID, I would go usually a couple times a year. And then during COVID, I actually haven't been since COVID. I was supposed to go this fall, but just because the city there was getting higher numbers and the workers just wanted to feel safe and didn't want someone coming in from another city. And that's another thing is Again, having these conversations like true transparency with all of our seamstresses and the production there is 
they didn't feel safe with us coming. And we have a good working relationship that it, I didn't need to be there. There's a lot we mm-hmm. can do over video calls and things like that. And I want to make sure that they feel safe first and foremost. And oh, totally. that, that's the priority. So I think it's really nice that um, we've been able to adapt and we have the working relationship and the trust that we do that I don't have to be on site to ensure things are getting done properly by any means. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's actually a really good point. Can I ask a very stupid question? When you go <laughs> on site, what are you doing when you get there? To be honest, I'm usually having a double espresso and some gluten-free croissants that they always make sure that they have for me, which is so lovely. <laughs> and I walk around the floor, chat with some of the different seamstresses, see some things as they're getting done. Honestly, it's just really to chat with everyone and like have face-to-face conversations because I am not a production expert. I don't manage a production house. That is not my area of expertise. So working with a company that this is what they do, they've been doing lingerie production since the 90s. So they are way more well-versed in this than I am. I'm just there to say Mm -hmm. thank you. I love working with you. And it's so nice to see you. Oh, that's cute. That's amazing. And I think, yeah, just having that relationship with the people who are making your products just probably makes everything mm-hmm. so much easier. That's yes. incredible. I want to ask a question for the people who are maybe thinking about starting their own line, whether it's lingerie or swimwear, anything. Mm-hmm. When you started with this company, were there minimums and was there a big overhead cost? Yes. So minimums are going to be the hardest part when you're starting something. Usually minimums are 200 per design. So you can break that up down into different sizes and sometimes different colors depending on the production. And the lowest minimums I've been able to find are 200 per design. So if you want to launch five different designs, you're going to have a thousand units in inventory right off the bat. So I always advise people and I've done this with a lot of different designers that I've mentored. If you can start small and find a home seamstress, your cost per product will be higher to start, but it's a great way to test out different styles and SKUs, gain the recognition and then sort of grow your product. Because a lot of times you'll do your, you know, research and development first, see how the fit is, have some feedback, but until it really hits the market, you may not get enough feedback to know, is this design the right design? Could we tweak it a little bit? And sometimes you want to tweak it a little bit, but if you're sitting on 200 units, of that design. You can't. (laughs) Exactly. No kidding. (laughs) How do you feel about pre-orders or pre-sales to measure traction? I I personally love them. I love purchasing on pre-order. We do pre-order from time to time. For us, usually our pre-orders are when we are already going into production. So we can get into production and hit that minimum as we are going into production. So then that way, we're able to cover the cost instead of going into the red or going into debt to produce that. Yeah, And then that way it allows, you know, customers who do love product to kind of get it first and have that feeling of like being one of the first customers to own it. Which mm-hmm. we know people love. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's huh. interesting. So at that point, it's more of like a cash flow solution than it is, you know, obviously yes. getting people to meet minimums. I guess that makes yeah. sense. I just have one more question, Adam, and then you can jump in with yours. But how do you think about investing across your business? And I don't know if that question makes sense, but what I mean by that is you're not going to compromise on having someone local to manufacture your products. You're not going to compromise on the quality. You're not going to compromise on having it handmade. You're not going to compromise in those areas. Do you find that there's other strings that you have to pull within your business to make that work? 
Yes. Oh, yeah. Like we won't compromise on the materials that we use and where we get it produced. So the actual garment themselves, we do not compromise on. That is our utmost important, obviously, thing that we're doing. And so areas that we compromise on is slowly growing our team. So you hear of a lot of startups that started up with 20 people and then grew to 80 and all these things, whereas our team is quite small. It's a team of four and two people that work on like freelance contract positions. We're a really, really young, nimble, small team. But I think that has been the area of compromise. And for me personally, that's been my area of compromise because I have done almost all of it up until 2020. I ran our social, I did all of our digital um, strategy, things like that. And, you know, it's for the business to grow, I have to hand things over and let someone else do it. But that's been an area of compromise. And I've compromised so much throughout my 20s of, you know, working Christmas Eve's in case someone needs an order because it's Christmas the next day. So I would be ready and available and waiting to deliver a package if that's what they were looking for. Because, you know, I really want to see this succeed and to be a part of that. So the compromise was me mostly, but now, now I don't have to compromise <laughs> as much, which is great. Yeah. To see one, one piece at a time. We love it. This has been really tactical and I feel like we've gotten so many good pieces of advice, especially people who are looking at starting their own line. So thank you so much. This episode actually reminds me of the one that we did with Imogen Pickering on branding and going through that exercise. And I feel like this is actually a really good opportunity for anyone who hasn't already seen. Go to our website. It's theygetitmedia.com. Go to our blog section and pull up the 12 steps in building your branding. And as you're listening to this next episode, or as you're listening to the episode that we just went through scroll through the blog post and see all of the different headings and how Mary embodies every single one of them. Like you Mm -hmm. can tell that her branding runs so deep and it's so core to who she is that it almost feels like her decision-making and how she runs this business is just like second nature because it's so Mm -hmm. genuine and it's so authentic. Oh, it's so good. In our next episode of Mary, we're going to carry on the theme of building a brand that's authentic to you. And we're talking all about inclusivity Mm -hmm. and how you know, like for Victoria's Secret, for example, they tried to become inclusive once they knew it was going to make them more money. And once their business started failing, and that just doesn't come across as authentic Mm -mm. versus brands like Mary's like, she's done this from the start, because it's just what she wanted to do. Not because she thought it was going to affect her bottom line, but because she just thought this is a thing that should exist that doesn't exist. Yeah. And so in our next episode, we're going to talk all about that. We're also going to talk about Bay Media and kind of how this becomes an extension of Mary's vision for what she wants to put out in the world by building an agency that has inclusive models and influencers and talent that highlights those different voices. So really good good. stuff in that episode. In the meantime, as Kelsey said, go check out our blog. We've got lots of good stuff there and we will see you again in a few days. See you then. Mm -hmm.